Hello and welcome to the Healthy for Men, a podumentary series. I'm Tom Rowley, editor of Holland and Barrett's Healthy for Men magazine. And in this episode, we're discussing all things sex and more specifically, how to have a positive sexual relationship. Our special guest today is journalist and sex educator, Alex Fox. Alex has been the news editor for Bazaar magazine. She hosts her own podcast with the somewhat graphic title, Unexpected Fluids. And she's also a script editor for the hit Netflix show, Sex Education. You can also watch this video in full on YouTube. Check out the show notes for more information. Thanks for downloading and I hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Healthy for Men podcast. Today we are here with Alex Fox, the journalist and sex educator. Alex, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, yeah, I am indeed Alex Fox, a name that quite conveniently rhymes with Phallix Cox, which is fitting for <laughs> someone that spends a lot of their days talking about the gentle and not so gentle things that people do with their genitals. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your career, Alex. So how did you, I mean, you started off as a journalist, didn't you? Uh-huh. Um, and what was your first gig? Uh, my first big gig was uh, working for a magazine called Bizarre. That's Bizarre with an I, not Bazaar with an A. Uh, one of them is uh, an alternative culture magazine, or was an alternative culture magazine. I'm afraid it's gone to that big printing press in the sky now. Um, but uh, yeah, it was the world's biggest alternative culture magazine. It covered uh, all the kind of like weirder, wilder, more wonderful side of uh, of sex and of music and of art. And um, one of my specialisms there was writing about unusual kinks and fetishes. So uh, I tried underwater bondage. I got dressed up as a mermaid and waited to the bottom of a swimming pool at a swingers resort uh, and tied up by a, an expert in Japanese shibari called S&M. Wow. Um, I also spoke to people who had... Um, uh, non-standard, shall we say, fetishes for smells. Um, I'm talking things that to most people would be repellent and repugnant, like the smell of vomit uh, or of bleach. And wow. um, through this work, I got really interested in the psychology of how people had come to develop these mm -hmm. particular kinks and what their own philosophies were on where they thought they stemmed from and what it was about those things that was so compelling and so enchanting to those folks. Um, and it also struck me that there was heck of a lot of stigma and taboo mm. about talking about things that gave people pleasure and excitement. And when I dug into a lot of them, I found that um, even though they might seem quite shocking externally to most people, um, actually they weren't really doing any harm. Mm. Uh, the ways in which they could do harm is if they weren't spoken about or if things were entered into without knowing about safety. Um, so I started to get... Uh, kind of idea that maybe there might be a niche in the market for someone mm. to speak more frankly and honestly about that in a way that made it more palatable and acceptable. And then right on cue, Fifty Shades of Grey came along, Tom. <laughs> perfect timing. Yeah, not a perfect trilogy of books. No, not perfectly written. However, um, probably did great for the uh, com conversation about S&M. Yeah, mm. you're entirely right. Um, on a personal level for me as well, it meant that something that I had um, become quite specialised in doing uh, on a relatively small level, writing for a popular but still quite cult magazine suddenly was in demand from much bigger platforms like the BBC and The Guardian. 
Uh, and then, yeah, as you say, it's kind of it's taken off like a NASA rocket from there on. Wonderful. So, I mean, from listening to you talk about this, your job really is about compassion, isn't it? It's about understanding and empathising. Like most journalists, that's uh, to a degree um, part of a journalist's job. But yours more than the most, I would say, is about understanding other people, uh, how they feel about quite unusual things. I always say that my job combines passion with compassion. Mm -hmm. And I think the best love lives do too. It's not just about learning skills and being excited and enthusiastic about what you're doing. But um, certainly, in I would say in partnered sex, but also when you're dealing with your own body, mm. it's about being kind, being kind and thoughtful about yourself and being kind and thoughtful towards anybody that you're having a sexual experience for. That's a damn good foundation for a damn good time. <laughs> Um, which is amazing. It's incredible to when you put it like that, because people worry so much about how they should be and, and how they should act in sexual situations and um, how to build a, a better uh, sexual relationship. And I imagine they focus so much more on, on what they're doing um, rather than that ability to, to empathise with whoever they're with. And, um, yeah, there are a lot of misconceptions about what good sex should look like. Mm -hmm. um, I now work for BBC Radio 1 um, as one of one of the many jobs I do. I always say that I'm spread thinner than a miser's marmite. <laughs> I'm doing a lot at the moment, but it's good. I like to be busy and buzzy. And trust me, I have enough sex toys in my collection that are permanently buzzing, <laughs> like a beehive on fire. Um, but yeah, I work for uh, BBC Radio 1 doing a show called Unexpected Fluids, mm -hmm. which is where we share real-life tales of sexual fails. Um, in a very um, in a very compassionate way, we all mm. have a laugh together about how often sex isn't that glossy, polished, sultry, sumptuous, sensual experience that we might get the impression it ought mm. to be from films and TV. Often it's two people trying to fudge and faff something together that they, they may not have an entirely great idea of what it is that they're doing, uh, bits of bodies bump and bang, things fall on people's heads, you know, we're all kind of fumbling and tumbling and jumbling our way through sex a lot. Uh, and that sometimes means that sadly, it, it can go wrong. Um, so we use those comical situations a way as a way of reassuring people that if you if your if your sex life isn't um, perfectly polished, then that is normal. And also then use that as a springboard for talking about how we can all make things a little better. Fantastic. And a, and, and a wonderful uh, portrayal of, of your description of, of what sex is in reality is, of course, sex education. Oh, the TV show. The TV yeah. show. Yeah. Um, which is one of the best things I've ever seen on Netflix. Um, and oh, my, I'm blushing now. It my, really my is. My cheeks and, are going to be redder than my lipstick and my <laughs> bank balance. <laughs> um, and I think it's really important for, for young, like really young people to, to watch that show. It's got such a good heart. Um, it's so warm and it's such an honest portrayal of, of what sex is, for, for, especially for teenagers as well. Um, yeah, I think a lot more younger people should watch it, you know, kids to get a more realistic view and, and a heartwarming and um, compassionate view of, of sexual relationships. So your uh, position um, on sex education is... Doggy. <laughs> I felt that coming. Um... So did I, Tom, so did I. Um your um, role in... Is that any better? I don't know. Um, Everything's an innuendo. <laughs> Trust me, I've learned this. After over a decade and a half of working within sex education, I've learned that there's nothing that you can say that cannot be interpreted <laughs> in some kind of mucky fashion. Um, so your role, let's go with that, is to um, review the scripts, make them perhaps more progressive, more contemporary, more 
honest about sexuality, would you say? Yeah, I'm a script consultant. So in the first season, I was brought on um, to meet all of the writers um, and they wanted to get some advice on me on from me on the, the kind of dilemmas that young people uh, commonly face, the questions that they have, the language that they use, because... A show. If a show like that was using naff, out of date terminology, mm. then it would immediately um, relegate it to the realms of something that adults had made mm. that was trying to be too cool for kids and had fallen flat on its face. Um, the premise of the show is that um, there's a young guy called Otis who's in his like mid-teens, and his mum, played by Gillian Anderson, is a sex therapist. Um, his bedroom is over her therapy room. And by dint of uh, sleeping there and just generally sharing a home with her, he inadvertently picks up a lot of quite adult sex education. He's very, very well qualified in knowing the bare bones about boners and some more. Um, what Otis lacks, though, is real life experience. Um, in fact, he is so overexposed to sex stuff through his mum that at the beginning of the show, he actually wonders that he might be asexual. He just associates things like intercourse with um, his mother, and that's understandably rather off-putting for Blimey, him. Blimey, yeah. What a situation. But, yeah. but his, his mates at school clock one day that he has this enormous repository of knowledge, which is hugely in demand. All teenagers want to know more about sex, mm -hmm. whether they're getting it, whether they're not, whether they're getting the hang of it or whether it's going wrong. They all crave that, that kind of info and they all have questions. That's an amazing premise, isn't it? Well, such, a, such a great it's premise. It's great, yeah. So he starts giving advice in the toilets fantastic so um from doing all the work that you do and and you must see quite a inspiring change in the attitude mm. towards sex and sexual experience do you think obviously we've probably got a lot of work to do in the stigma of of uh, fetishes and that kind of thing but do you see a positive development in in the world of sex there is so much to be um cheerful about and uh, and heartened by in the world of sex at the moment. Um, I do think that there is a change taking place in attitudes. I think it's in line with things like the push towards gender equality. I think we're, and, and LGBTQ rights, I think we're generally becoming more open-minded and more accepting. And people are also recognising that there are huge gaps in sexual knowledge and that not talking about things does not improve matters. Mm. Um, I am involved uh, via my work with Brooke with trying to um, campaign for better sex education in schools. It has been ruled now that sex ed will become compulsory in all schools across England mm. uh, from September 2020. Unfortunately, that date has already been pushed back a number of times. Uh, and ostensibly, that's a real win. Um, but in order for that sex education to actually perform its duty, mm. it needs to be answering the genuine questions that young people want to know the answers to. Uh, and as part of that, um, I'm working with Brooke to try and make suggestions of what should be on that curriculum. Mm. Uh, top of our list is pleasure. Um, now, I don't want to demonise teachers at all because a lot of people complain and say, well, the only sex ed that I got in schools taught me how not to get pregnant and how not to get an STI. Mm. And that was that. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, lesson over. Um, however, teachers are under an enormous amount of pressure to try and fit a huge amount of, uh, of um, education into a very short day. They have to hit all sorts of targets uh, and hit and reach goals with um, 
dwindling budgets. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of them aren't given the resources they need to teach sex ed well. They might have their own beliefs. They might have their own sexual traumas or bad experiences Mm -hmm. that they're dealing with. They might feel embarrassed about delivering that education. So I think they're up against a lot. Um, And I also think that even if you do make sex education in educational establishments really brilliant, There will always be young people who don't engage with it Mm. either because they feel disenfranchised from the school system and it doesn't matter what you say and how great it is, they've already decided that that teachers don't understand their lives and that they've tuned out. It's a minefield for a lot of people, isn't it, for Mm -hmm. teachers and and, and students alike. And I'd imagine there's a lot of parents and and, and communities that are pushing against it as well, so there's a a lot of conflict there. Sadly so. What I always say is that uh, trying to brush conversations about your hairy bits uh, and your carpets down below under the carpet uh, never actually helped anyone. But there are a lot of parents who worry that by talking about sex, you will stop children being children or you'll take away their innocence or you will over-sexualise them or even encourage them to be physical. Mm. Um, however, they live in a very over-sexualised world. They're receiving messages and misinformation about sex and sexual matters every Every day from films and TV and their peers and urban myths and it's all around them. Mm. And, and also they will naturally have questions within their own heads. I would much rather that um, young people feel that they have um, people that they can go to who are reliable and who will give them good information in age appropriate ways. Uh, and also that actually does help to protect their childhood. Um, if, for example, you teach um, a, a younger child the proper names for their genitals and teach them that um, even though they may might have discovered that touching themselves might feel good, that that's something they need to do in private and that mm. nobody else should touch them in that way, that they are the boss of their own body. Having that conversation gently with them at home as a parent or a caregiver or as a youth worker, for example, helps protect them against Mm. potential abusive situations or manipulation or coercion. We know that knowledge is power. If you equip young people with good knowledge, you give them the power to make good decisions uh, according to their own needs at their own pace. So I really believe that education isn't over-sexualisation, it's protection. We Absolutely. owe it to young people to do that. Um, but going back to your question about whether I think things are moving in a positive manner, in some ways, absolutely yes. But I'm also really aware that I am stuck in a bit of a sex ed bubble. So if I go on Instagram or um, or Twitter, I see all these brilliant movements towards like mm. people drawing realistic diagrams of vulvas, so they know what their um, what their flaps look like mm. and how how much frilliness is normal and what have you. Or or I see amazing movements like Bloody Good Periods, who are a charity who talk about menstrual poverty and how some people People don't have access to stuff like tampons or sanitary towels and it severely impacts upon their lives and their mm-hmm. ability to go to school or to jobs, things like that. All of that's really progressive, um, but that is not reaching everybody. And then I go into schools or just recently, I've just wrapped filming a new show for Channel 4 called um, The Sex Clinic. It's the second season of that, uh, where people drop into Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital, where we've set up a specialist STI testing service and advice clinic. Uh, and they come to see me to ask whatever's on their mind about their behinds or their front bottoms. And I have seen in the past few days 
27-year-olds who didn't know that women don't give birth and we through the same through different holes. They thought they they, they did that through the same hole. Wow. But there are still like real yeah. basic issues of lack of knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, so even though I think it's great that things definitely are moving forward, we need to make sure that we are including everybody in that march and mm. that we're being diverse, accessible and inclusive. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I completely agree. Um, so we're speaking now to probably a predominantly male audience. Do you uh-huh. think that um, that male attitudes have further to go than women or in a different way? Do you think that male attitudes need to develop and, and, and change about sex? I think we should all be learning together a little bit more than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of weight... Lots of the um, topics where men's knowledge falls down is about women's desires and women's bodies. Mm. Um, I think whilst traditionally in schools at the moment, men or male defining children are sent out of the classroom for the, when it's the talk about periods. Mm. Um, I feel like they should be in the classroom for that. They need to know how women's bodies work, especially if they're going to enter heterosexual relationships. Mm. I hear from so many men who have no idea uh, about their partner's monthly cycle. Mm-hmm. They don't understand anything about the, the contraception that she might be using. And in the majority the um, responsibility for contraception falls to women. Mm -hmm. And we can have a very interesting conversation about that if you want. Um, There are drives to develop some really intriguing forms of male contraception Mm -hmm. at the moment. It's certain that the history of contraception does definitely have a bit of a sexist angle. um, And a lot of women are angry that they um, they tend to be the ones that have to endure the burden if you want yeah, to it's a huge if you, yeah if you want to if you want to experience if you want to frame it that way mm. of of um, having a coil fitted or or taking um, the contraceptive pill every mm. day or, or what have you um however it's also i think really important to realize that women are the ones who um fall pregnant and so a lot of them actually feel quite empowered by um being the ones to to uh, take that mm. into their own hands if you will and also women on average produce an egg once every um 28 days or so whereas men produce thousands upon thousands of sperm every day Mm -hmm. so you've got more to work with in male (laughs) bodies um there are a few really interesting developments cooking up on the back burner at the moment though they're probably realistically at least a decade from coming Mm -hmm. to market but um so the pill uh the male pill had a bit of a lease of life recently did it and it just wasn't a a success or is it is it now it's in development but it might not actually work. Is that the case? Um, there was a male pill trialled. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it showed side effects, um, including depression, right. um, at, that were deemed too worrisome to continue with further trials. Is that not the same for the female pill, which they've... This is a hotly debated topic, <laughs> yes. Um, however, I think... I hope that if female pills were trialled nowadays, Mm -hmm. they would be trialled to more compassionate and more stringent levels of... um, I think it's important to remember that the first female pills were developed quite a few decades ago now. Mm -hmm. And I think in order for a pill to be deemed safe and successful nowadays, the levels to which we'd expect it to be uh, relatively pleasant to use and and indeed safe um, would probably be a lot more stringent, a lot higher. So I, I think 
the way that we trial medication these days is different. Um, there are some other contraceptives being trialed for guys. Um, there's a, a hormonal gel that you apply to your back um, before sex that reduces the levels of uh, of, of uh, sex hormones in the body, but then replaces replaces them with others. I'm trying to, I don't want to get really into the, the chemistry of it because it's quite complex, but basically they, um, they block the hormones from working that um, produce sperm, mm -hmm. but then because those hormones also do other jobs in the body, they replace them to a degree that allows the rest of the body to function well, but suppresses fertility um, temporarily. Right. Uh, and that's being trialed. Um, there's also something called vasal gel, uh, or there's a number of gels that are being developed that vasal rather than gel. mucking around with hormones, um, they offer an internal form of block. They essentially work like a temporary vasectomy. Right. So it's a polymer gel that's, in, in, that's injected into the vas deferens, which is the tube that essentially takes sperm and mixes it with the other components of semen before it's ejaculated. Um, and this, this polymer gel is... It, injected in there so it blocks it blocks the the duct don't worry your balls aren't going to inflate and inflate with uh, 10 tons of sperm it just gets anything that doesn't get used in a day is uh, naturally just reabsorbed sure by the body that's everyone's fear right now <laughs> it's the same as if you didn't masturbate for a while for example right, okay. um, so there's no there's no worry there's no mm -hmm. nothing to be afraid of there okay. uh, and what's interesting about it is that that gel can then be relatively quickly and easily reversed via either a second injection to flush it out um, or a form of microwave and I know that it's a lot less of an invasive procedure mm -hmm. than um, than a traditional vasectomy and it's much more easily reversed so there's things in the pipeline for men's pipes um, they're just a long way off well that's good that's being good. ready just yet yeah it, the question would be then and this is a very complex debate but you know, is, is it right that men have control over the contraception and maybe it's, it should be more the women that have the contraception? I don't know, but it's, um, it's an interesting philosophical debate, I suppose, about ethics. Do you know what? Well, there was actually a survey conducted recently uh, that asked women whether they trust a man to take a contraceptive pill and uh, th only 32% of women said that they would feel confident right. that their male partner would do that 68% of them that means um just wouldn't they, they, a man taking pills wouldn't give them thrills I can imagine <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine yeah um yeah and I would probably feel the same if if I was a woman I'd want to take that control you know um, there are some women who even don't feel confident um asking a man to use a traditional condom mm -hmm. and have started to use what we used to call femidoms now call internal condoms. I like the term vagina liner because that's kind of how they work. Um, have you ever seen a femidom? I have seen a femidom, yeah, not in the flesh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm aware of it. It's just a big condom, right? It's, it's Pretty like a, much, yeah. You know. it, um, it looks like, you know, you can get those little snack pots of Pringles. Yes. It's about the same um, diameter and length as one of those, right. um, but made out of usually nitrile or another kind of um, flexible plastic. 
Um, so it looks like a, an, a, a hollow cylinder. It has one ring that's fixed um, that goes on the outside of the body and helps helps it to, to sit in place. And it has a second internal ring that you squeeze together, insert it a little bit like you would a tampon, and then it pops up and sits over the cervix. You know when you go to festivals and you've got those single-person tents that you just throw and they <laughs> pop up? It works a little bit like that, although Brilliant. it's thankfully easier to, to get down and, and get it out again. Um, but yeah, they essentially line the vaginal canal. That's another word that I really love because I imagine narrow boats kind of going up and down by. <laughs> it's very picturesque, um, isn't it? Yeah, 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 exactly. They line the vaginal canal. Mm. You do have to be a little bit careful when you're using them during, uh, during intercourse to make sure that uh, the guy or the person using a toy, because you can use them with strap-ons or dildos or whatever as well to help protect you from... STIs that way. Um, you have to aim for the centre of the condom. If you actually accidentally slide down the side, then they're not going to do their job. Um, but they actually offer a greater protection, slightly increased protection against STIs than standard um, condoms that go on a penis because they cover a greater surface area of skin. Oh, wow. And women can insert themselves up to eight hours before they want to have sex, which means that they um, acclimatise to body temperature and can feel a little bit more natural. Mm -hmm. But it also means that women can wear the condoms. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them feel like that they, uh, they, re they feel very empowered by that, that they can use their own barrier methods of contraception. I can imagine, because the big debate has obviously been, well, it's, it's been in, in the media a lot recently about the amount of men who have lied about wearing a condom or uh -huh. taking off a condom, which is obviously a horrible thing. It's to an do. illegal thing now. An illegal it's, thing yeah, to do, It's yes. called stealthing. If you agree to wear a condom and your partner believes that you're wearing a condom and you um, either lie about it or you take it off halfway through, a sex act then you have violated consent and you can be done for sexual assault wow mm -hmm. there we go and rightly so absolutely absolutely um well, we've gone down a dark <laughs> corner here haven't we yeah <laughs> well let's stir it back into something a little bit more light so what do you think is a positive this is a broad question i apologize what do you think is a positive sexual relationship what defines that oh wow that is broad mm. okay I think a positive sexual relationship is one where there's plenty of really good communication. And you know what? This is a bit of a bugbear of mine because I think loads of sexperts, or I prefer the term sexpert, um, <laughs> I, I think it's more dynamic. Um, <laughs> lots of sexperts are really famous for going, communication is essential for a good relationship and a good sex life. Mm. But then they don't tell you how to communicate. Yeah. I find it very aggravating. We all know that talking is good, but lots of us don't know how to approach those mm. awkward, cringy subjects or we do worry that maybe if we express a desire to our partner that they might be offended and think that they weren't doing it right beforehand or maybe it won't be their cup of tea and so they'll decide that they're not going to make us a cup of coffee in the morning ever again and actually they want us to leave their beds <laughs> permanently. You know, there's, a, there's a lot of jeopardy and mm. trepidation about talking about Absolutely, sex. Yeah. So just saying, oh, you need to talk about it isn't really good enough. Mm. Um there are there are lots of people trying to make that better. Um, there are apps these days where you and your partner, for example, can both uh, you'll be presented with a series of sexual scenarios or acts or um, ideas or things to do, and you can say whether you'd be interested. Um, 
you're definitely into it or you're definitely not. Mm. And the app will only communicate to your partner the ones that you've both said that maybe you're definitely into or that you're intrigued by. So that's one thing. Uh, There's also another app called Furly, F-E-R-L-Y, which is um, designed for women at the moment, although I'd love to see something for men along these lines. So Furly is an app that um, encourages women to become more mindful about Mm. sex and masturbation and uh, more more in touch literally with their own bodies and discover what is pleasurable to them also helps them to communicate better about that Um, and I try to illustrate techniques of communication Mm. Um, have you heard about sex menus for example I have not heard about sex menus sex menus are the order of the day as far as I'm concerned Um, they involve you and your partner sitting down and um, making a list of all the kinds of things that you like the sorts of things that you want to try there are all sorts that you can download for free or otherwise for just you know a couple of pounds on the internet there's a really good one that's been published about how to make your own sex menu or manual uh, by a couple of great sex educators called Justin Hancock I mean there's nominative determinism at its best uh, and Meg John Barker Um, but yeah sex menus involve really thinking about what is it that you get from sex Mm. what is it that you want and then spelling that out for your partner in really constructive ways Um, I also like a technique called um, the care air share technique so if there's something on your mind about sex, maybe something you're worried about or something that you'd like to suggest, um, then first of all, you tell your partner that you care about them. You might say something like, I feel so secure in this relationship or I'm having so much fun with you or, you know, I always feel like I can talk to you about things. So you're opening the conversation in a positive way. Mm-hmm. They don't feel like they're about to get in some kind of terrifying trouble. <laughs> then you air what's on your mind. Oh, but, I, you know, I've noticed lately that we're both really tired or mm-hmm. you're working very long hours and we're not spending a lot of time together that's intimate or, um, hey, you know, it feels like you've had uh, a bit of a, a bit of trouble getting up lately. How I want to know how I can support you with that. And then finally, you invite them to share their thoughts on it. Oh, what do you think we could do together or or. Is there, a, is there something that we both need to find out? Should we go and get some information from our GP? Or um, how do you feel about trying this? What, what are your ideas? Mm. So you're inviting a collaborative community. You're inviting them to have a collaborative conversation with you. You're approaching it as a twosome. It's not you just making demands and giving commands. Um, and I think that taking that approach to sex and, mm. and having chats about it is a lot more of a helpful one um, yeah. than blurting out um, the thing that you have been concerned about for ages yeah. in a Let's way Let's not do can... this. Let's do this. Yeah. yeah. You've been f***ing up, king. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've also just started working with um, uh, two women who have founded their own company. They're both in long-term relationships, really happy with their sex lives, totally attracted to their fiancés, um, but but sort of got the feeling that things maybe weren't quite as spicy or or might be getting, the rutting might have been getting stuck in a rut, if you will. <laughs> right. uh, and they were looking for strategies to introduce new ideas mm-hmm. over long over the long term in ways that were kind and, um, and exciting for both partners, rather than um, that worry of, of saying to someone, I want to try something new and the implication being, you're boring or you're a dud in bed. Um, So they have started producing 
um, sex subscription boxes called the Sway. They cost about £35, I think. Um, What's it going to be? Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a box that's delivered to your door, thankfully in discreet packaging. It's not got, you know, like a massive glittery knob drawn on the front. or (laughs) (laughs) Contains 17,000 gigantic sex toys the size of bollards. Um, Uh, For those who can't see, it's a uh, very, I suppose it looks like a perfume box or some nice gift box, pink and uh, very discreet and very classy. I'm glad you've said that. I mean, if I open it up, even the tissue paper inside is very beautiful. It is, yeah. Um, it, that belies the fact that one of the women has a history of being involved in graphic design and she's made it very graphic now. Um, oh, wow. But uh, that's one thing that I do like about these sex, sex subscription boxes. They look lovely. They mm-hmm. look inviting and luxurious and classy. Well, not only do sway boxes have really genuinely good stuff in like Mm. this one that I've just opened has um, a a sex toy that's sort of horseshoe shaped that's Mm. designed to be worn vaginally and then sit on the clitoris so where it it offers stimulation and it can actually be worn during intercourse Um, if I open up another one here What's inside? It's like family fortunes, family planning fortunes. This one's got a massage candle. Um, These candles burn at a lower temperature than standard household candles. So they become liquid when they're warm rather than when they're super, super hot. And that means that you can essentially drizzle and dribble them all over your partner without uh, needing to call a fireman and an ambulance afterwards. Um, And they often have a nice scent and you can use Mm. use them as massage oil. Um, what else do we have in here? Um, a waterproof tiny vibrator from a Japanese company called Eroa, uh, who they and their counterparts, their male counterparts, Tenga, are really famous for making sex toys that don't look like genitals. They more like look like maybe something that you'd buy at the Apple store, mm. the Fapple store, if you will. <laughs> um, so, yeah, these boxes come along to your door directly with all sorts of interesting, classy goodies, giving you a perfect opportunity and excuse to experiment but even better each one comes with a variety of little cards that are actually designed to start conversations um, and help you discuss in a constructive way what you want to do with your partner with the stuff that's in there so there's a little card here that um, invites you to think about what it would be hot to do tonight and then leave that for your partner somewhere that they can find it and then kind of take that on in their own time and and contemplate it in their own space. A lot of conversations about sex are better off had outside the bedroom. Mm. Um, For a start, because I think if you talk about sex over a cuppa in the kitchen or somewhere where, um, you know, it's more of a casual, relaxed environment, then you're more likely to speak about it in a way that isn't overly emotional and stressful. You know, you're calm and chilled. And also... If a conversation does become quite fraught, bringing that toxicity into the bedroom is then likely to be, you know, you're likely to remember that stress mm. the last time, the, the next yeah. time that you go to try and initiate sex. So that place sex. becomes so, a place of toxicity, doesn't exactly. it? Exactly. You can kind of pollute your bedroom mm. by talking about difficult matters into it. That's really interesting. I, 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 I really recognise that this is, uh, a privileged thing to say because not everybody can afford to live in homes where they have lots of different rooms. Um, but I personally try and keep my bedroom just for sex and sleeping and pleasure and relaxation. I have a, a pact with myself that I. 
in there, but I don't work in there. Right. And I have sex in there, but I don't talk about sex in there. Unless, of course, Tom, I'm talking about sex in a very uh, erotic <laughs> way that's designed to be a come on rather than a come on, we need to sort this out. <laughs> <laughs> that totally makes sense. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, that's amazing. That's incredible. I think that's a really um, progressive thing. And I never thought that that would, I mean, it makes sense now, doesn't it? A subscription box designed to um, increase communication and, and spice things up without having that awkward conversation of, I'm bored. Yeah. Um, so, is there any other ways that men can talk about sex? What about fetishes? I mean, if, if a man has a fetish, um, how should they talk about it with their partner? I think a lot of guys and girls get understandably uh, nervous and they quake and shake in all the worst ways about the idea of bringing up a fetish because they worry that if their partner is revolted by it, Mm. um, that that will have a really negative impact upon their relationship. Um, Lots of people tell me that they actually find it easier to um, exhibit or suggest some kind of fetishistic behaviour um, in a casual sex encounter because the stakes are lower. Mm. If somebody reacts in a way where they go, oh my God, um, pretending to be ponies um, on the hoof <laughs> while we're getting it on is um, is just, re- that you know, that's disgusting and I never want to see you again. Mm. Um, then they can exit stage left from that, from that one night stand without having done too much damage. But mm. trying to, to bring something like that up with a long-term partner can be really really scary yeah. no um one one way that i think is uh, maybe a gentler way to bring this up is uh, to try and craft an erotic story together um i've brought along some dice which i'm going to hand over to you okay tom I've got the dice. Roll um, the first one for me. These are designed to help you help you um, navigate the process of writing erotica together. Okay, so this first one is a sexual position dice. So you can see here it suggests, uh, or die I should say, although die is a terrible word to associate with sex unless <laughs> you're into necrophilia, which is not legal. So maybe don't suggest that one to your partner. They really will bolt for the door, or likely anyway. Um, so this is uh, about sex standing up. Okay, so you have to incorporate that into your story. Roll right. the next one. Okay. Standing sex with... Oh, this one is a props dice and it's given us a laptop. Okay, so you're going to okay. incorporate technology within your story. Now, if you're somebody who's thinking, oh, you know, I've got this fetish, maybe your aspect of the story could be, well, uh, I came across this this porn that was uh, showing me this thing or uh, I was watching a TV programme where there was a scenario that had um, this oh, this right. scene in it that, that excited me. Um, if your partner reacts in a way that's maybe not very enthusiastic, you can say, oh, I was just using my imagination for the story. <laughs> um, you might want to write those stories together. You might want to write them separately and then swap them. Um, erotica, um, like testing the waters by by suggesting a piece of erotica to mm. somebody can be a really good way of gauging what their reaction to something might be. So you're creating a safe space, really, for these kind of conversations to happen. Without... Exactly, yeah. Um, I think as well, if you are somebody who is fixated on something that you know in private you've been getting off to the idea about for a long time, it's worth going in gently Think about um, entry-level activities. So ra- if, you're, if you're thinking about bondage, for example, rather than suggesting that 
your partner suspend you in a net like a giant satsuma from the ceiling, you know, with loads of loads of ropes and whatever. Maybe you suggest um, a pair of soft Velcro handcuffs for a start. They're easy to get out of. Um, or if you're thinking about um, a pain for example, and in your in your head you think you'd really like to be whipped or to whip somebody with a giant riding crop. Start off with your hand so that you can, you know, so you get some feedback mm. straight away. You can feel how hard you're hitting and um, it's, it's maybe less intimidating than bringing mm. a prop in. Um, going in gently works for a variety of reasons. For a start, that's less likely to be terrifying or intimidating to your partner. Secondly, it's really vital to remember, even if something really turns you on when you're watching it in porn, porn is not the same as real life. And something that you've seen on screen that makes you feel very excited might actually be very, very different in mm -hmm. real life. So in the same way that if you were learning to swim, you would not dive into the deep end. Stick your toe in the shallow end first and invite your partner to do the same. Mm -hmm. Start shallow and then get deep which is also a great sex move if you're into penetration. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Work your way up to the Satsuma yeah. situation. Yeah, and do your homework. Definitely do your homework. A lot of aspects of fetish um, do involve some level of risk. Um, not all, but uh, if we're talking about things like spanking, for example. Um, amongst the fetish community, there is... Um, there's a motto that everything needs to be safe, sane and consensual. Or some, some people refer to this under the, under the wider moniker of risk-aware kink. Um, safe means that you have uh, done your research to make sure that you know what you're doing, you're using the right equipment, you uh, have established a safe word. Um, that's a word that if you say it or if your partner says it in the middle of sex, it means that everything stops straight away. Mm. It's important to choose a word that you would never usually say in a sexual scenario. So no or stop are actually quite bad ones to choose um, because a lot of people incorporate those into role play or they tend to moan no when, you know, actually they mean don't bloody stop now or I'll kill you. Yeah. <laughs> so it needs um, to be something completely obscure. Yes. It's completely out of the context. Yeah, I use the word doorbell because I find that nothing stops someone faster than the idea that someone might be at the door and that that person <laughs> might be their dad. <laughs> so doorbell's good. It's a great um, idea. Alternative, you can use the traffic light system, which means you say green if you're happy with things, uh, amber or orange if maybe you, you need to slow down, um, you want to reduce the pace a bit, or you need, to, mm. you need to take a break, you need to check in. Red means... I've reached my limit here and you absolutely need to stop oh, or I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. So safety first. Sane. Sane means that you understand fully what you're getting into. Mm. Um, you don't just have a rough idea about it. You have really thought it over. It means that you're sober enough to agree um, mm. or uh, you know that you can consent in, in full mind and that you know the person that you're playing with enough to mm. know uh, that they understand all this again. Um, so safe, sane and consensual. You have to make sure that both people really are on the same page and enthusiastic about this. Um, that means a thorough conversation beforehand. Um, it means making sure that you're not accidentally pushing or coercing your partner into doing something with you because they think it's the only way to get you to stay mm -hmm. or they're so desperately wanting to make you happy that they'll do something that makes them feel unhappy. It has to be a genuine desire. Mm -hmm. Um and consent is also not just something that you get once and then you've got it for all eternity. Um, it's It should be negotiated 
constantly mm. and you should always be checking in with your partner are you still feeling happy does this feel good do you need a break you know make it easy for them to call a little bit of a time out if they need to i'm all about sex breaks and um, this is another thing that we don't see in porn or on the telly very much um you know we, we, we're we're presented images of people having like really intense, sweaty sex sessions. Bang, 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 bang. More than, you know, your average builder mm-hmm. um, who always seems to start before 7am and finish somewhere <laughs> like 11 in my neighbourhood. Um, my sex life, I wish, was the same. <laughs> but he has a tea break, I'm sure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we should make sex more like building. Yeah. Constructive and with many tea breaks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, sex, you know, it's it's totally fine to mm. pause. Um, catch your breath. Check in. Have a chat. It's really interesting. Then resume play. It doesn't mm. have to be just one, one block session and then mm. that's that. How do you communicate that break? I mean, that's what you just say, sorry, let's just take a break. You don't have to apologise for it. Yeah. You can say, um, shall we catch our breath, for Mm -hmm. example? Or you can say, wow, you know, this is really intense. I just want a moment to let this feeling flow through me and share this with you. It doesn't have to be a, oh, I'm knackered. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it can be a, I want to savour this. I want to extend the experience. It can be a sexy thing rather than a, a cop out, you know. Well, it always comes back to communication, doesn't it? And um, developing those communications. Because I think what you've done in this conversation is given people a lot of tools that they can use rather than just you just talk about it, just talk and talk and communicate all the time. But having those tools and knowing how to communicate is, is essentially the core of, of you know, a, a positive and, and constructive sexual relationship, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, conversation, communication, and also I, th- I think we really need to remember that provided that you're not trying to have a baby, the whole point of sexual interactions is fun. Mm. It should be pleasurable. It should be playful. And I think so many people take sex extremely seriously. And yes, it is a very important part of relationships for many people. It's about it's how they bond. It's a form of stress relief and escapism for them. It's intimacy. But I think all of those things, if you infuse them with the, um, the, that central theme of this should be good fun, mm-hmm. um, that will lift your entire sexual experience. Um, I often prescribe to people who come to me for advice who say that, you know, their sex life's gone down the drain or they're getting really stressed out mm-hmm. about something. Just pull it back and remember that it is, it's totally fine to mm. laugh and have a giggle. Um, if you found that, found that your sex life has become very fixated around performance, for example, and that you're worried that you're not um, living up to some ideal of, of sexual potency that you feel that you should be delivering your, to your partner, for a start, take penetration off the table, um, by which I don't mean stop shagging on your kitchen counter. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I mean... I think a lot of us feel that when we say sex, what we mean is penetrative sex. Mm. And um, I'm quite famous these days for my phrase, the sole goal shouldn't be putting a pole in a hole when it comes to sex. Dr. Zeus. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I do. I I probably wear hats that look like the one, the cat in hat as well. (laughs) Quite an adventurous dresser. Um, Yeah, I think a lot of people do get hung up on penetrative sex as the best or even um, only form of what they count as sex. 
And if you decide not to do that for a while, you could be amazed at how much pressure that takes off mm. and how much more fun you can have. Um, we know that for most women, and I, I realise I'm talking a lot about heterosexual sex here, but um, let's concentrate on that just for this moment. Um, we know that for women, in order for them to have pleasurable sexual experiences, the majority require quite concentrated um, clitoral stimulation, focused mm. clitoral stimulation. Penetrative sex is terrible at that. It does not get the clit lit. So penetrative sex on its own is often not the greatest form of sex for mm. women. Whereas for men, penetrative sex absolutely depends on them having a hard-on. Mm. And that puts really huge pressure on them to gain and maintain an erection, which we know a lot of men stress about. And stress is not good for getting a donk on. Um, stress is one of the biggest causes of flaccid and floppy penises out there. Absolutely. So it, you can see my point, <laughs> even if you can't see yours some nights, um, that penetrative sex isn't always great for either mm. partner. So saying that you're not going to do that for a bit can be a great source of relief. Take your time, focus on other areas of uh, each other's bodies and, and your relationship rather than yeah, and remember going straight that, for the ultimate goal. Precisely. Don't just go for that bullseye of the genitals either. Um, I suggest really silly things like having a pillow fight together or um, getting in the shower and putting some great music on that makes you feel good and just mm. having a splish splash dance around. Reconnect with each bodies, with each other's bodies in a way that's, that's playful and joyful again and it isn't loaded with pressure and stress. Um, I've brought another favourite product of mine along, which that's me shaking it in front of the mic to try and demonstrate that it's a powder called Slube. Um... Slube is designed to be sprinkled into a warm bathtub of water or a paddling pool. Hey, summertime right now. It's hot outside. <laughs> Why the hell not? Terrify those neighbours who are already at their wits end because of the building work. <laughs> um, and the slube powder transforms that water into a giant warm vat of coloured flavoured lubricant. Um, in this case, it's pina colada, wow. although I really think it should be penis colada. Um, there are some that are aromatherapy, designed to be mm. relaxing. Some have like, um, you can get one that's leather scented, black leather scented, if you're a little bit saucy in that way. Um, and what that does is uh, not only make, you jump in it, you play around, you can have a little wrestle if you want. It's really sensual. It feels great. That's a way um, of um, sort of uncovering your leather fetish, isn't it? It can Just be, be like, yeah. Oh, I really like the smell of this. What is it? Oh, it's leather. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it could be. Um, primarily Sloob, though, is about bringing that sense of playfulness back. It makes the skin really glossy and gleaming, and it's very sexy to look at. It's two bodies slip sliding alongside each other, so it's definitely got a lot of sex there. But mm. You can make it either, you can move it, from the mild to the wild side as much as you and your partner both see fit. Mm -hmm. It can be a crazy bath that makes you both laugh your heads off and, and kick back for a night or and or it can turn into a, a really quite kinky, memorable, slip slidey sex experience. Um, I think if more people open their mind to the idea that um, you can try new things in sex and it doesn't always have to end up in a major orgasm. Um, it can just be something that you've tried and it was okay or mm. it wasn't for you and then just laugh it off and move on. 
It doesn't have to be a big deal if you try something that doesn't work. It's That's cool. it. It is such a big deal with so many people when taking that pressure off is, is, is I could just imagine opening a whole new world of, of, of fun, a relaxed fun, taking the stress away. Um, I was going to ask you for, for your for your sort of final word and, and uh, some advice, but I think you've sort of given it right there really is, is, is to take that pressure off. And um, so Alex, it's, it's been amazing speaking to you today. Um, you've given us so much, so many tools to, to take away and about communication, and about um, practical elements as well. Um, so thank you ever so much. Um, have you got any, any final words you'd like to add? Yeah, just on that note of um, positive messages about sex, I hear from a lot of people who feel that because of how they feel about their own bodies, that they're not allowed to enjoy sex right now. Um, some of them even hold off from having relationships or sexual encounters at all because they don't think they look or feel good enough. Um, don't wait to enjoy your life and don't wait to enjoy good sex. It's absolutely fine to work towards health goal if you want to. You know, um, there's a lot of people out there trying to get fitter and and um, preserve their health for the future, and that's commendable. Um, but I don't think that people should put their enjoyment of their bodies on hold because they haven't reached a goal. Um, it can be very hard, though, if you don't feel positive about the skin that you're in mm. to let go in front of another person. Um, and for some people, it's even hard to enjoy your own body through masturbation, mm. you know, if you loathe yourself that much. Um, I'd really like to encourage people to be kind to themselves now, mm. even if you are on a physical journey, if you're on, if you're trying to change your body. Um, it, you, you still have utter permission to feel good um, right this second mm. and a lot of people find that when they learn how good their bodies can make them feel they feel better about their bodies um a few exercises that you can do are um i really recommend that people start masturbating in front of a mirror look at yourself learn to accept you as you are now um if you can see yourself while you feel great then you might come to accept yourself a little mm. bit more and maybe even celebrate what, what amazing things that body you can see is doing for you. Um, try and say kind things to your body every day. And I know that sounds like hippy, dippy, crazy, tree-hugging ridiculousness. Um, but if there's a part of your body that you don't like, just thank it for being there. Um, thank it. Like if, you've, if you're worried about your chunky thighs, thank them for getting you from A to B. If you're not a fan of your stomach, give it a little hug. My friend Sophie Hagen, who's a brilliant comedian and author of a book called Happy Fat, has really encouraged me to do this with my body lately. And I've really noticed how much more at home I feel in the, the corporeal home that I occupy. Um, and it's had a great effect upon my sex life. Um, I just think that life is too short mm -hmm. not to find joy and not to feel joyful in yourself. And it breaks my heart that some people don't love themselves enough to enjoy lovemaking. Well, I think that's extremely empowering advice, very poignant. So thank you ever so much. Um, a final word would really be watch sex education it's incredible um please listen to um unexpected fluids as well it's amazing hilarious um and just keep googling alex fox seeing what she's up to 
incredible articles coming out all the time. Um, thank you, Alex. It's an absolute pleasure. And I uh, hope uh, we get to speak to you again at some point. Cheers, my dears. It's been a treasured pleasure. Uh, if anybody would like to ask me a personal question about sex, uh, unfortunately, I don't offer a one-on-one service at the moment, uh, but I am resident sex advisor uh, in a segment called The Foxhole <laughs> uh, on a podcast called The Modern Man with two N's because it's uh, hosted by Ollie Mann. Um, if you head to our website, which is modernman.co.uk, and hit feedback, then you can ask me anything that you're thinking about when it comes to sex, and I'll do my best to answer that on that podcast. Lovely. Thank you, Alex. Cheers, my dears. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Alex Fox. If you want to hear more about sexual health, check out our interview with Love Island's Dr. Alex George, where we also discuss the mental health implications of reality TV. And if you want to hear more about sexual relationships, check out our sister show, The Healthy Podcast, where editor Ellie Hughes interviews orgasm expert Kate Campbell about the science behind the female orgasm. 